precious blood that we might receive life that comes from you, fellowship with you, be joined once again to you in a life that's extraordinary, everlasting, eternal life. And the hope of that salvation, that eternal habitation with you. And so we're thankful. We're thankful for what you've done for us, Jesus, in giving your life. We thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you, you know every person's circumstance, every situation. You know why everybody's here today. Whether they were made to come, whether they wanted to come, whether they're searching in their heart for you, you know. So we ask you to help and minister to every heart and in every life in the way that only you can do. We ask you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to every heart and life. We approach your word as it is in truth, the holy written word of God. We respect that. And Jesus said if we'd know the truth, the truth would bring freedom and liberty to us from the strategies of the enemy. So we give you the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart, every life, by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. How are you? Welcome to 1030 Service, New Creation Church, on this great day that we live in. Amen? God's got some exciting things. Why don't you uh, look at somebody next to you say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And you can be seated. 1 John chapter 4, John declares that, you know, there's lots of things going on around us in the world. There's many influences, but greater is he that's in us, not just somebody that's out there afar off. You know, Paul said, uh, you know, when he went to Athens, Greece, and looked at all the temples of the Acropolis and all those things, he said, there's that temple over there that you have to the unknown God. Well, the one you don't know, I know, and he's not afar off somewhere. It's in him that we live, in him that we move, and in him that we have our very being. And so he was speaking of that relationship that God was ordaining for us to have. Not that he would be afar off in heaven somewhere, but we'd have that close personal relationship with our God. Amen. I just want to remind you, uh, Jesse Duplantis is going to be here. That's just here, what, uh, a week from Wednesday. And um, so mark your calendar. We usually don't have Wednesday night. So you want to mark down that Wednesday night. Bring a friend. It's going to be a great time uh, with Brother Jesse. Then the following Sunday morning, Joe Morris will be here. And uh, Joe's always fun. He's very relaxed in the way that uh, he ministers and uh, brings the word to us, and he's going to be talking, uh, probably, he, he tends to talk either about where, uh, you know, Jerusalem is, the Jews are at this point in time in history, uh, or the last days, and so he may not, he may talk about some other things, but he does that a lot if you've tuned into his podcast, and so that'll be uh, fun and interesting, amen. Well, we started a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, this uh, message that I've entitled, God Help Me, and so in the world that we live in, we can look at scripturally that there'll be a day where there's things that are very difficult to bear, trouble to bear. And there's a reason for that. It comes down to, uh, as the Bible says, the reason that times come and they're very difficult all around us to bear is because people really get to the point where they're lovers of themselves. They're lo lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're greedy. Uh, uh, they're haughty. Uh, they, they're disobedient to parents. I mean, there's a number of things that we could look at. And if, if the Bible says that, that, you know what, when people start acting this way, it's going to create difficulty within culture. And so we see there's these, these aspects that have come around into our culture. We see difficulty in that. But he also says, I don't want you to just follow that course or follow that way. There's help in time of trouble. There's, there's help for us to live in a different way according to a different process from a different source of our life, even in the midst of trouble. And so in that midst of trouble, God's ordained for us and, and desires for us to be a light in the midst of whatever trouble or darkness comes. And so if you open your Bibles with me to Psalms 121, we're just going to use these uh, uh, couple of verses, our foundational text, to launch off this morning for what I have uh, that I'd like to talk with you about. It says, look, I looked up. This is from the Passion Translation. It'll be up there. I looked up to the mountains and the hills longing for God's help. But then I realized that our true help and protection come only from the Lord. Somebody say only. Right, only from the Lord, our creator who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me. Somebody say guide me. Come on, sometimes we're lost. We need some guidance. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. God is my keeper. He will never forget nor 
ignore me. Psalms 46, again, verse 1, out of the Passion Translation, says, God, you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in time of trouble. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. So we will never fear, even if every structure of support were to crumble away. We will not fear even when the earth quakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Then he says, pause in his presence. In other words, he says, think about this just for a little bit, that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And if you know that and you're assured that he is your help in trouble, there will be circumstances that come in life. All kinds of them. There'll be natural circumstances, natural disaster. There'll be people who do different things. There'll be courses of nature, leadership, government that will act in certain ways. But when we know that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble, we don't get fearful. We also understand that a lot of these com things come and they'll start to shake our faith. But when we know him, we know he's our helper. It does not erode our faith away. And so in the situation that we're in, we know and many times we look at the situations of life, and we even just look around us, watch the news, things happen, and we're like, man, alive. Uh, I don't even know if I can bear this. I don't even know. I mean, there's just too much going on. Even all around us, people get helpless, and they feel like there's no hope. But by, the Bible says God is a God of hope, and not only that, that he said he would help us. So our cry or our thought that we need help is absolutely true. We can't do it on our own. We can't manufacture. We can't overcome the size of things that are taking place in our world today just simply by our own willpower or our trying. So God says, I want to help you. I want to be your ever-present help in time of need. But as we've said before, we get to the point that we're looking way out here. Just like the psalmist said, I'm looking to the hills. I'm looking somewhere to find help. But really, God is our only true source of help, and he's made a way for him to be close to us and really even in us. And so last week, we began really two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan started talking a little bit about uh, the holy life that God's called us to live. And again, it's not the old uh, aspect that we think and where people get holier than thou, but it's just a, a transformation of life to break down some of the things that weigh us down, that would try to conquer us or make us helpless or hopeless. And you know, there's a hopelessness that's going on in the world today. When you look at the suicide rate, you look at the divorce rate, you look at uh, uh, drug abuse and those things, those didn't come about just because people are just bad in their own nature. They're becoming hopeless and they feel helpless. And so for us, it's a point to be, really begin to know where our help comes from and the life and the enthusiasm and the hope for the future that we have, that we convey, that we become lights to people around us. And so really, we're, we're talking about things in the transformation of our life that we don't just, you know, there's the day-to-day -day life. We go to work, we wake up, we come home, but there's a way to live out that life that really God has planned for us to rise above that and really be an example uh, to people around us who we see that maybe are hopeless, they're, they're helpless. So in Philippians chapter 2, we went here last, last week, it says, therefore, beloved, verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Now that's something we could work on like right off the bat. We won't go into that today, but um, he said there'll be a result of not just living our life uh, uh, complaining and disputing. You know, your mind may click off, well, there's a lot of things to dispute in the world today. A lot of things I don't agree with, a lot of things to complain about. Well, that was the same even back in the day when the scripture was. There, there can always be things that we can find to complain about. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, we're, you're either deni in denial or um, you're just pausing and thinking about it. There's a lot to complain about. Many times we find ourselves 
even unintentionally complaining, complaining about the way things are going. But he said, listen, when you know where your help comes from and the strength, we can begin to curb that complaining because he says, when you get past the complaining and the disputing, something's going on in your life, right? So hopefully we're not, we're blameless, right, uh, uh, in, in our generation and harmless. And so if we're blameless and harmless, hopefully we're not the ones they're complaining about, Right? And so if we're not complaining and we're developing our life, we're not uh, where people are complaining about us, we're able to be able to not only be helped, but help others. And so he said this working out of our own salvation, I'm just going to bring us up to, to, to speed just a little bit, this working out, you can think, oh, well, you know, I don't think we're supposed to work this. That was the Old Testament, the works of the law. Well, no, there was the works of the law, but he said there's things that we have to put to practice in our life. It doesn't just happen. And this working out your own salvation isn't just I prayed and got saved. And so uh, I think I've already done that. No, he said when you uh, became a child of God, you got saved. You didn't just get a ticket to heaven, but he said, saved you from sin and the destruction and made a way for you to become different, for me to become different. And a process of developing into a new person, a new creature and creature in Christ, as, as it were, that we begin to be more Christ-like. So he said this working out, this word working out from the, the Greek language means to bring to completion or to finish the goal. Well, what is the goal? Not to just be the same old person, but to develop the characteristics or the character to become more Christ-like, all right? In our nature, we're Christians. We're to become more Christ-like. So he said, you, you begin to work that out, but as you work that out, you'll find that it's God by the Holy Spirit working or energizing or empowering you to do what you couldn't do, become like him. He's empowering you, and he's empowering you not only to say, well, I'll do it if I have to. No, he's working in you the will or the want to, right? In the original language, he, he, it's not an emotional want to, like, oh, I'm all excited about this, and now I'm not excited about it. No, he, he, he's working or energizing the true heart desire to be the person that God created you to be. And not only is he working that desire, that want to, but he's strengthening you to do the things necessary to do it. So, so there's a lot of things that we would go through, and if we're not careful, you know, we talk about not doing works of the law. But the works of the law, what the law did, just very quickly, what the law did is it showed up all these things, these commandments, and then everybody looked at it and said, we can't do that. So once a year, there had to be a blood sacrifice from the blood of bulls and goats and animals to cover it once a year right? Because man couldn't do it. So we come into the New Testament, what man couldn't do and what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, God sent his only son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, to shed spotless, sinless blood for us to make an atonement or to wash our sin away. And then through that new birth, he gave us grace Right? So the Old Testament's the law, and the law showed up we couldn't do it. If you, if you don't believe what I'm saying, just go study Romans chapter 6 and 7 this week, and you'll find out what I'm saying. What we couldn't do, the law showed up and said, you of yourself, your own ability cannot achieve this. Old Testament. So we move over into the New Testament, which still has these, the, the life that we should live, the development, but knowing we can't do it on our own, God gives us grace to do it. Grace is the ability of God, the favor of God, a divine influence upon our heart. So we still do something, but it's not that we look at it and we can't do it. When we look at the word of God in the New Testament where it says, love each other, we're going to launch into that today, love each other, and you're like, I can't love them. No, you can't. And the Bible shows that up. But if you draw on the grace of God, you can. So what we never could do, God made a way for us to do, but not on our own with his help. When he said, forgive people who've wronged you. Well, I can't do that. You, know, you don't know how they've wronged me. Well, I know you can't, but with his help, we can. With his help, we can, right? So he's working in us not only the will and desire, but the power to do it. So as we determine, 
I want to bring this to completion. I don't want to just pray a prayer, live the same old life, uh, you know, uh, do whatever I want, and then hopefully I'll get to heaven. No, I want to receive what Jesus did, and I want that to start to work out in my life. I want to see differences. I want to see where I'm angry that there's a joy, where I'm always ang- having anxiety that, that there's a peace being produced, where, where there's... Uh, you know, no hope, uh, that, that I'm hopeless, that there's hope that, that arises, where it's hard to love people, that I have this love. There, there's just so many aspects of what God's called us to do that if we looked at that and said, man, that kind of life, that kind of life. So in Galatians, you know, it lists out the works of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality, anger, bitterness, religious ideas. I mean, I'm encapsulizing. Then it brings the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, uh, meekness, uh, self-control, faithfulness. I've done uh, many unscientific studies. Just asking people, not just church people, other people, if I could list two kinds of life and read the one and then read the other. The fruit of the Spirit, not just tell them that, just say, you know what, the way life is going, and look at what's going on in life. You've got people who are angry at each other all the time. You've got people who are caught you know, in sexual immorality, relationships breaking up all over the place. You've got people with stress. You've got people bogged down by, by religion. Then, you know, but if you could have love, if you could have joy, if you could have peace, if you could have goodness around you, which life would you pick? And I have never had anybody pick the former. Nobody. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're saved or not. You look at two kinds of life and you're like, okay, I might pick one or the other out of that because I see something there. But no, overall, I would pick that life. So there's something in us that says we would like that life. God's given us that life and we can develop that life, right? So it's him that's working within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now turn over to John, the 14th chapter. John, the 14th chapter, Jesus is speaking here. And he says this, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so I like what one person said this, instead of, you know, just getting in here because of our mindset, keep my commandments. Really, uh, he said, if you love me, I like this paraphrase, if you love me, then begin to live life my way. Begin to live life my way. Now, if we look at the way Jesus lived life, it all of a sudden breaks some of these religious ideas of, uh, of, that seem to be so laborsome to us, and it breaks, breaks things forth to live in a different kind of life. So he says, if you love me, uh, we'll just put it this way, live life my way. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he will not just be with you, he will be in you. And so what Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you love me or if we've had this relationship when we're walking together and you know me, he said, then I've set an example, live life by the example that I've set for you. And when you determine to do that because we've had this relationship together, I know that you can't just do it like you've watched me do it without help. So I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit of God. He said, I, when, when you translate that, it says, I'm going to send you the helper, another helper. That word another means one of the exact same kind. So in other words, they watched Jesus help people all through his ministry. He helped people, right? The, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, he came up to him. He said, do you want to be healed? And the man couldn't say yes or no. He just said, I can't get in the pool. Somebody gets in before me. And so Jesus raised him up. And healed him. They saw Peter who, who jumped out of the boat enthusiastically and he began to sink. He could feel like a failure. He could have drowned. But Jesus reached out, helped him back into the boat, right? The woman that was brought out, caught in the act of adultery, they said, let's stone her to death. Jesus made some way and he helped her realize, I'm not here to condemn you. You have hope for a brand new life, even though you've made mistakes. So Jesus, the, the disciples watched Jesus help people all the time. And, and, and really, he helped them understand that the kingdom of God was much more than religion, and he, and he helped them. So he said, listen, when you live my li- life my way, you're going to have the same kind of help, but it's not going to be with you to where you're going to watch me do it. The helper's going to live in you, and he's going to empower you to live this kind of life. And so as we said a couple weeks ago, you can have two kinds of help. You can have the person do it for you over and over and over again, yet you're still always powerless to do it, right? 
So, as I said, you know, my daughters and my wife with, with phone technology, I'll just say, you know, they'll say, you need to look at this. You need to get this app. And I'm like, all right, show me how to do this. And so they take my phone away from me. And after they've taken my phone away from me, they give it back and they say, here you go. You have it. And I'm like, so still, every time I need an app, every time I need something done, I say, help me. And then they just take it away from me. So I'm still powerless in many areas, even though they've helped me, right? So there's some things that Jesus did for us that we could never do for ourselves. Couldn't pay for our sin. He did it, right? So we said that before. We're going to focus on this other area, though. Why, what he did is he said, I want to come, and I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you because I don't want you saying, could you just do this for me? Could you just do this for me? There's two aspects. You'll never be empowered. And then two, when it doesn't work out, you'll always blame him. How many people are always blaming God? They say, I don't want to know God. I don't have anything to do with God. But then when something happens, there's a blaming God. And God said, I don't, want, I don't want to blame you. I don't want you to blame me. I want to cooperate. I want to put my life in you. And I want to empower you to live above the fray. I want to empower you. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He said, I know how this goes, and I can empower you to deal with these situations that come in our life. So he said, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. Well, look, let's look at those commandments. I want to launch into this today. We'll just kind of crack this nut open, um, and then we'll launch into it a little bit deeper. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 35, it says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, saying, Teacher, which is the great command in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what he said, he said, I'm going to give you two commands, and they have to do with love. And everything else that's in the law that they, people have prophesied, they all hang on these two. So when we start to talk about developing Christ-likeness on the inside of us, we talk, start to talk about a, a bringing to the end goal or the completeness. This is an integral area in our lives that we need to look at. We need to crack open and examine. In the, in the culture that we live in, there's so much divisiveness. There's so much hatred that's coming in. And, and, and sorry to say, some of that over the last few years, you could look at, and some of that hatred seems to be coming even from the church towards different areas of life. And we felt substantiated simply based on disagreement. So when we talk about love, we, we can go, yeah, I love people. I love people. Thank you, Lord. I love people. God loves me. He forgave me. And we can be very casual about it, but God was never casual about it. And the reason God was never casual about it is because it's a very integral uh, main character that makes up who he is. So if we're going to be like him, we're going to really have to dig into this and understand what it's like. And so uh, really when we begin to look into it and we begin to examine it in this way, turn over to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew, the fifth chapter. In the 43rd verse, we'll see how we can get through this. It took me a little bit of time to get through this in the first service, but we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And we're like, whew, good deal. I heard that said too. I can love all these people that I get along with, but there's some people I just can't love. There's some politicians, there's just no way. There's just people. So if we stopped right here, we'd go, all right, that's what I've heard, and I'm pretty good with that. But Jesus went a little bit further. In verse 44, he said, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I know many of you are pretty calm because you're, you've read it before, but really on the inside you're like, are you kidding me? Come on. Love people who hate me? That person who's persecuting me? That bill collector? That, you know, that, that person who used me? No way. 
No way. That's just impossible. That's impossible. Yes, it is. In your own strength, in my own strength, it's impossible. But he said, listen, I'll help you. I will help you. Because he said, there's something right here that's going to be the distinguishing factor that makes you and I stand out when we're moving through the world. And as the trouble grows in the world and the trouble that's increasingly growing because people love themselves, they love money, they're disobedient to parents and all the things that really cause everything to be about me. And if you're not on board with me, I cannot like you. I can't even talk to you. In fact, I got to cancel you out. There's something that's going to divide and set us apart, and that is that we can love beyond, an extravagant love, that we can love people who don't love us. We can love people who have used us. We can love people who have persecuted us. We can pray for them. Come on, I've heard some people just say, you know, in this particular situation, I just can't pray for them. But Jesus said we should pray for them. He said, because there's something that's going to distinguish us. And he said that. He said, they'll know that you belong to me. They'll know that we're walking together, that you belong to me by your love one for another. Not by looking like everybody else, not by making it easy on yourself, but drawing from the help that I give you, you can be able to go beyond that and begin to be a light to the people around us. Right there in Philippians, when he just said, you know, let there not be murmuring or complaining that you might be harmless and blameless in a crooked and perverse generation, you might be lights in the midst of the world. He said, I'm working to cause a distinction between us and them. And the distinction isn't simply that we come here on Sunday morning. There's something about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that's incredibly important. Our gathering together is important for encouragement, for learning the word, for supporting one another, for praying for one another, for loving one another. But we're all going to disperse out into different corners of the valley, and we're going to be out there. And he says, listen, in the midst of all that perverseness, darkness, he said, I've ordained, I've dispatched you out there to shine as a light. And it's important in the day that we live in. And so he's just said something that you're like, well, if this is it, there's no way. But he said, I am here to help you. And he goes on to explain why. He said that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So you're like, wait a minute, I'm already a son. I prayed a prayer. He said that when I got born again, I got born of him. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Right? John chapter 1, I'm a child of God. But just as we were looking at a couple weeks ago, there is a... a, 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 um, uh, positional righteousness. God said, I've made you righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a positional holiness. God died to walk, Jesus died so you could be washed and cleansed and made holy, right? There's a positional sonship. So as God sees it through the eyes of what Jesus did, he sees us in this way. But we have to see it and believe it so that it becomes operational or behavioral, right? So when he says, he's saying, listen, you may be born again and be sons of God, but if you live the way of the world, it's not going to be distinguishable. So you will love this way so that you behaviorally will be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same or some translations say sinners. Verse 47. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so that word perfect really throws us off and makes us like, go, oh God, nobody can be perfect. Um, I hate that perfection thing. Well, he's really not saying that when you break the word down. He actually says once again, right, work out your own salvation. In other words, bring to a goal or bring to completeness. He said, if you'll live this way, not just taking the easy way like everybody else, I'll love whoever loves me, I'll greet whoever greets me, I'll do what they do to me. He said, no, when you change and you love those who hate you, you pray for those who despitefully use and persecute you, you do the things that are right, that are different than the world, he said, then you behaviorally become a son of God and you begin to 
to work out to the finish this life. This life. Paul wrote to the Colossian church and he said it like this, put on love which is the bond of perfection or the bond of maturity. So this love that we're talking about is not something we just go, oh yeah, I love you. It's something that develops on the inside of us that becomes a core characteristic of who we are as Christians. So it can't just take mental assent because mental assent will start to say, that person used me. I can't possibly forgive them. I can't possibly love them. What am I going to do? Right? But on the inside, you say, I don't know what to do, but God begins to work and bring salvation. There's truly a developmental process and a strength that comes from this. All right? So he says, you'll come to that place of perfection. So I just want to cover this one thing today, and then there's about five things that we'll cover over the next couple of weeks. But turn over to uh, 1 John chapter 4. The number one thing, <coughs> excuse me, the number one thing that learning and, and coming to know the love of God, what it will do for us is it will actually cause us to know him, to know him. And so 1 John chapter 4 starting in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, because God is love. Now, there's a little distinction here, and it might mess with your mind a little bit, but he didn't say, if you don't love, you're not born of God. He said, if you don't love, you don't know God. So there's something because it's the very core of who God is. God is a loving God. So, so we don't know God. So consequently, many times, we don't project God in the right light. And so many people have come to this point of understanding that, listen, wait a minute. How can a loving God send people to hell? And we kind of scratch our head about that. But we shouldn't scratch our head about that because we know God. God's not sending anybody to hell. Sin brought condemnation. Sin and people's choice to go away from God is what sends them. They choose to go to hell. God is not sending people. God sent Jesus to pay the price to rescue us from going to hell. But because we don't know the love of God, it's hard to explain that to people. So we scratch our head. Well, I don't know how a loving God could send people to hell. He's not. He sent Jesus to rescue people. That's how much he loves us. And so the comprehension of that love begins to spring forth when we begin to know him. We begin to rest upon that. And so he says there's a functioning of religious life, day-to-day life. Maybe it's tripped you up when you've read the scripture before, when Jesus said, there'll be a day when you come to me and you say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? Did we not preach in your name? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. He said, you can do all kinds of activity and not love, not come to the development of the love of God, and without knowing the love of God, you can't know him, because God is love. So first of all, why would we want to dig deeper? Why would we want to unpack this a little bit more when I I can tell you I love you? I love you, right up until you do something that I don't like. Then I struggle with that. No, I love you. How can we begin to unpack that so we're getting to know him a little bit better? See, because if you think that God loves us like we love people, so as long as we're doing good, we're, we're doing everything we need to, then God loves me. But if I make a mistake, I'm not sure God loves me. Well, that's an up and down ride. But when I know I'm moving through life seeking him and everything's not perfect, I make mistakes, but none of that eliminates his love for me. So thank God for that, right? Doesn't eliminate his love for me. And so we, we see that in 1 John. Turn over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 1, just beginning there. He says, uh, uh, you know, thanks be unto God who's given us everything that we have need of that pertains to life and godliness through what? The knowledge of him. How do we access what we need from him? Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and by his own virtue. He goes on to say uh, some things, but then he said, now add to your faith 
virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So he said there's a process of developing character in our life, but that development of that character ends up with love. And he says, if these things are yours and abound, if you develop it to love and you're abounding in it, you'll be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you lack these things, you'll be short-sighted even to blindness and forget that you are cleansed from your past sin. In other words, not developing these things, selfishness, it's always about me in the mirror. Where am I at? What mistakes did I make? What accomplishments did I do? And it's very short-sighted. But when we walk in love, things open up. We begin to see others. We begin to see a, a better future, a hope, because we begin to know God, and God has an eternal plan, and God has an eternal purpose. And we want to know God, don't we? I mean, if we're born again, if Jesus paid the price for us to have a relationship, we want to know him personally. We want to know his love. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So we're trying to love, yet we don't really know or haven't experienced his love, so we can't at the same level. So we begin to embrace the love of God in that way. So turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 3. It says, now by this, we know. Let me see, am I in the right place? First John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, now by this we know that we know him. By this we know that we know him. Somebody will say, I know him. He says, by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected or brought to a finishing point in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. No cause for stumbling. We see that over and over as we've just been looking at this subject of help that God continues to say, you don't have to stumble in life. There is a process that I have really designed for you to not stumble in life. And the importance of this connecting with God and knowing God is so important because it really all comes to culmination in our relationship with him and flows out of that relationship with him. And so in first service, really there was a point in time, I don't know who that was, but, but, but it was, God began to just show me that there's relationships that you think are totally disconnected from what you're doing right now. It's happened in the past. It's not a big deal. Nobody knows how much it's, you know, it's affected you, and you just kind of have shoved it off to the past. But he says those, those things that you've not resolved, you've not forgiven, you've not let go of, they're hindering relationships right now. There's people who are struggling in their marriage, and you can't figure out why you're struggling in your marriage. You love your spouse, but you're continually struggling, but you've got a situation you haven't let go of, a relationship from the past that you've thought's no big deal. How could it even be connected with where I am right now? Because those things are heart connections. They, they eliminate you knowing God or being able to even express to your spouse the things that you need to because there's something holding you in that relationship. It's difficult to get off your feet you know, with a business or in your work because there's a business person in the past that hurts you, a boss that didn't do right by you, and you've just held that, and it's holding you from expressing everything that you need to and opening up to other people in business because of something in the past. We like to disconnect those things and say they don't make a big difference. It's not really a big deal for me now, but they're in, they're in our life. They, in, they infiltrate into our life. They get a hold in our life. And God's saying, you need to cut that off. You need to let that go. 
And then we'll just end with this thought. Well, we probably won't end with this thought, but somewhere close to this. But, you know, he says right here, and we'll see this, John, really, in his epistle here, uh, if you want just something to look at, to study, to meditate on, pertaining to this throughout the week, just read 1 John. John really had a revelation of God's love to us, our love to God, and how that reflects in us loving people, right? Not just from our personality, but beginning to love God and, and know that. But he says a lot, if we, if we say we love God, but we hate our brother, right, then we lie. Because how can we love somebody uh, more who we don't see than somebody that we do see, right? And so we get in our mind kind of this men, mental gymnastic, well, I don't really hate anybody. Because hate is such a strong word. But really, in this context, it's not that strong of a word. It just means uh, uh, um, to detest. That's pretty strong. But the Greek word, the other part of that means to love less. To love less. To love less than what? To love less than yourself. Just let that sink in for a moment. He says, if you hate your brother, well, what does hate mean? I don't hate anybody. Hate means to love less. What do you mean love less? Love less than yourself. Well, how can you say that? Because Jesus said it. I didn't say it. The second great command, which is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we have trouble. I know somebody in their mind is going like, wait, wait a minute. Selfishness is loving yourself. Well, that's inordinate. At some point, you have to love yourself, right? As a husband, the Bible says, if you don't know how to, if you don't love yourself, you can't love your wife. And if you don't love your wife, you don't love yourself. There's a divine connection there that, that bleeds over into that. So there's a knowing how much God loves me, which helps me embrace the love that he has for me and know who I am and love myself to the degree that I can express that to somebody else. Right? Not selfishness, but to know how much God loves me, embrace that love, love him back, so I know what a loving relationship is like, so I can give it. Because I can't give what I don't have. But the good point about that is every single believer may not know it, but every single believer has the love of God shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. But what we're going to dig a little deeper into or peel back a layer of to look at, to see for this victory, for this development of more Christ-likeness in our life is in the midst of this world where there's so much animosity, there's so much hatred, there's so much wickedness, there's so much pressing against us that, that's so easy to get involved in. It's so easy to remember and become the victim instead of the victor. It's so easy to just fall into that place and be carrying around something against somebody. And act like you don't, but it's weighting you down. You're carrying it around, and it's just waiting for the right moment to break forth and destroy another relationship or an area of your life or an opportunity because we've ignored it. But God says if we could work this out and we could begin to yield to the Holy Spirit, the helper. Right? So I can tell by your face you're like, oh God, I don't think I'm coming back next Sunday. Ah, man, this seems hard. It is. Just being honest, you're not going to be able to do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. We need help, but it's going to be great. The anticipation of saying, you know what, the more this gets developed, we might not get there all in this time. We may not be that place, but the more I can do this, the more I quit carrying around. This person didn't do me right. This person should have done this. This should have done that. And we just think that's okay. I'm just saying I'm just saying, somebody was doing this. I'm, I'm just trying to express it, but you're expressing what's in your heart. I feel mistreated. I feel neglected. I feel used. We got to work that out. We have to work that out. Oh, there you go. You're just saying, you're saying we can't say anything now. No, there's a lot of other things to say. And the Holy Spirit will help us not say some things. And help us to say what we should say. So we're just going to crack this open a little bit more. I encourage you to come back next week. It's going to help us. 
It's going to help us, right? Say, I don't know. This is going to be tough. That's why we said, God help me. Well, I don't think I can do this by myself. No, you can't do it by yourself. You've been trying. I've been trying in some areas on our own for too long. And we feel like, man, I haven't been able to get over the hump. But now it's a time to start relying upon him to help us. Because that's his job. That's what he wants to do. So how do you know that? Because he loves us. And there's nothing more he wants us to know than how much he loves us. So that because he first loved us, we can start to reciprocate at the same level of love. And once we reciprocate and have that relationship with him, we're really going to explode. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Closing, right here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said this knowing. He's, he's laid out some of these things uh, for the church at Ephesus. And so he says, I know everything that God's asked us to do, we're going to need some help. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. He's about to tell us, listen, to love people like this is going to take strength from the inside. You can't just do it emotionally with how you feel. It's going to take strength from the inside. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So what's the first thing he wants us to do? He wants us to fall in love with him. He wants us to set our roots down deep and say, listen, God loves me and he'll never stop. And I love God and he'll never stop. And he's gonna, we put our roots in that and he says those roots will cause you to be rooted and grounded. People will come into your life. Offenses will come into your life. People who, who don't mean well will come into your life, but they won't be able to uproot you. You'll be firmly rooted in who you are in God and you'll know that God loves you whether anybody else does. And even though it feels good for people to love you from the inside. It's a better thing to know God loves you, or from the outside, God loves you from the inside and begins to work out depth of relationship. So we're rooted and grounded in love. And then he said, after that rooting and grounding, that we might comprehend the depth, the breadth, the height, and the length of God's love. In other words, God's love is multifaceted. It's not one way. It doesn't just reciprocate on one level. It's bigger. And he wants us to know that when we get rooted and grounded in love and we go into that, things open up as we begin to grow, as we begin to mature, they open up. And he increases our capacity for love, depth, breadth, height, and length. A greater capacity of love, so a greater capacity to bring different types of people into our life and begin to show them the love of God. Relate to them accurately what Jesus did to bring them into a relationship with him. He said, this love passes human knowledge. It passes the norm of like, I got this. He said, you're going to have to go deeper and know him intimately and personally. Not just say, I know, I know how to love people. Just like John said, you, people go, I know him but they don't love, so they don't know him. So you can mentally ascend, I know him, but he wants us to know him through that depth of relationship. He said this love that passes knowledge so that you can know and that I can know we're filled with all the fullness of God. It's such an integral part of who he is, the core of his character that he wants us to receive on the inside of us and begin to develop in such a way that we don't just say that we can do it by ourselves, but it's going to take the relationship. It's going to take the time. It's going to take the understanding to begin to really work this out to the finish. And man, I'm just going to tell you, in portion, as Paul said, I certainly haven't arrived. But there are portions that God has helped me with that I've seen. And I'm telling you, when you tap into that, when you, when you see that next step, when he helps you with that area, with that person or that instance or that thing, and you've struggled with it for a while, there's been that person that's just been in your life for a long time, that person who you're just like, man, I'm telling you, that person. And all of a sudden, you know, that's been your, 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 your even your Christian life. Oh, God, help me forgive them, but that person. But instead of like, oh, God, just help me in a frivolous way, you dig into the love of God, and all of a sudden, that person you find out, I have an urge to pray for them. Instead of like, oh God, help me forgive them. Oh God, help me do something. All of a sudden, he's just working in you as you draw close. And you find yourself starting to pray for them. 
And you're like, man, something's changing on the inside of me. And as you pray for them, all of a sudden, just one day, they come up to you and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, to say, you know what, I'm sorry for things that have happened, but I just got to tell you, God's changed my life. He's changed my heart. Well, then you'll go, I've been praying for you. (laughs) That's just kind of how we are. Oh, now things have changed. I've been praying. But when we don't see that, but I believe it's a change that you'll realize, wow, I didn't even really see that coming. All I wanted to do is get closer to God and have him help me. And he started to change a situation. He started to grow us in love, and it made a difference. We're going to begin to see that through the challenges. I believe that with all of my heart. Areas that God's going to show you, you're going to go into, and it's going to be difficult, but because of the love of God, how we are able to see and understand We're going to bring light, hope, help into difficult places. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up with me? Father, we thank you today. We thank you for a word. We thank you that it's truth, it's life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you know everybody's heart. You know everybody's situation. You know where they've come from, what difficulties they're having, what hurts, what wounds, what relationship situations have been. You know all that. I couldn't possibly... No. But you also want to help each one. And such a dynamic of your love that would cause whatever the situation that's involved to create a great breakthrough, great growth, a great opportunity. I thank you that right now you're working on every heart in life. You're bringing understanding to specific situations. You're bringing hope in an area that some thought were hopeless. Relationships that they thought were lost. You're bringing hope through the knowledge of your loving kindness for us. I ask you to continue to minister to every heart in life as we go out into this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as we encounter people, as we move and try to grow in relationships, that we find our strength from you. We remember things that we've heard, things that you're teaching us in this area, that we allow the help for transformation to take place in our hearts and as a result of that in our lives. And we give you the glory. We give you the honor and the praise and the thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, there will be altar workers up here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't have that love of God. I don't have that life of God. I don't have that relationship with God, and I know I need that. Just come up and tell one of the altar workers, you know what? I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll, they'll pray with you. They'll show you scripture. Today can be your day to come into that place of salvation, knowing him as your Lord and your Savior, intimately and personally. Just come up and ask them. They would be glad to pray with you. Amen? Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall.